Welcome to Wizard Team, a Black magical podcast for Black magical stories. Hi everyone, it's Bayana, Robin, and Portia embarking on a journey through the many fantasy stories written by and about Black people. Currently, we're reading Amari the Night Brothers by B.B. Austin, and today we're discussing Chapter 21. So what happened previously on Wither Team? Um, the Van Helsings do what colonizers do and um, took credit for Amari and Dylan's um, first place finish in the first tryout. Though Dylan did not make it to the end of the uh, tryout and Amari figured out the answer on her own. Dylan got the majority of the attention and praise. Um, Amari... And Dylan then sneak out of the party in which Dylan is getting all of the attention and praise and go to the Vanquish office because Dylan had acquired um, their key. There was a trophy room and then a floating office, which was really cool. So Amari got to see kind of all of the trophies, the air quish. And what is it? What was it called? Like the air Vanquish. They got their own signature shoe. Yeah. Um, they like Jordan out here. Uh, Dylan had to pay for his pair. And we wondered about, you know, intellectual property and Well, I don't the, think he even had to um, he got he got to get a pair. He had, yeah. He got, got a pair. One. He had to like wait in line though. I, oh, I think he, yeah, said yeah. he had to wait in line. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, what is the NIL deal um mm-hmm. in the supernatural world? That's what we're running to know. Um the NIL, if you guys don't know, is the name, image, and likeness deals that college kids get now because they were getting, you know their name, image, and likeness used all over the place, but they weren't getting paid for it. Now they get paid for it. So is that happening in the supernatural world or are they still in like NCAA 1.0 territory? We have questions. After they see the trophy room, they go to the floating office, which, you know, we love a good, you know, space utilization. Um, Find or get Amari uses... Quentin's password, which is Amari Amazing, which is terrible password management. Quentin, shame mm-hmm. on you. To get into their computer. Um, and we see Quentin's schedule for the day he went missing. And the last thing that we saw were meetings with a KH and Horace. Horace um, is a member of the Department of Supernatural Affairs. He's like the, the lead of a department and is currently on vacation in like the disappearing aisles so we don't know where he is he don't know where he is and that's that um and then after we get a little bit further in Amari's investigation about the missing um about her missing brother she goes back to the dorms to find out that someone has committed a hate crime and not only did they commit a hate crime with uh terrible graffiti and vaguely not vaguely it's not vague it was very prominently threatening um, imagery about Amari being a magician. She then has to deal with the rest of the people on the dorm floor heckling her until Magnus threatens them to be quiet. And Elsie sweeps her out of there, and that is where we left off. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, Cool. So... Now Amari is in the uh, uh, town car, like well, Elsie's guardian's town car. Um, she who offered to like basically take her 
basically Elsie offered to take Amari home because I guess this is like their weekend. They have a weekend, the weekend off, so everybody's going home. Mm-hmm. Um, Amari hadn't planned on going home though, right? Like, yeah, she, I don't think so. She was gonna just stay there, but then you know you get back to your dorm and there's hate graffiti on your wall above your bed, and like, who wants to? I don't want to spend my long weekend in that room. So right, exactly. Um. So yeah, so Amari tells uh, the driver, Maxwell, that uh, he can drop her off at her apartment. Um, And so Elsie, like, so he was supposed to take Elsie straight home, but she told him to just ride around for a bit while Amari cooled off and then was also nice enough to go and get her, like, Amari's things from the dorm room. Um, Amari decides she's not going to tell her mom that she's coming home. Um, because she doesn't want to have to, like, answer a bunch of questions or, like, explain what's happened and deal with that, which is, like, again, it makes sense. We've talked about this before in other situations. Like, it makes sense that she wouldn't tell her mom, but somebody should tell her mom. <laughs> like, For sure. I mean, we're getting to the point where it is, like, I mean, we've talked about the fact that she's been in this uh, camp and, like, Quentin went through this entire camp and the and no one told their mom what was actually happening. And we have seen this in a lot of different, like, fantasy stories, especially YA stories, where, like, the normal child who is put into this new world um, is kind of separated from their support system in the normal world. But, and the, and the dangers that go along with that. But, like, at this point, too, it's, like, Amari is wondering, like, what does she say? She's like, they, um, that ugly painting above my bed was just so cruel. Do they hate magicians enough to really want to hurt me? Like, she Mm -hmm. feels, she takes that as, like, a real, like, threat to her, like, physical safety. Not just, like, you know, the mental, like, and emotional abuse that that is. But, like, she's worried about her physical safety. And I feel like once you get... To that point, um, I mean, I feel like before you get to that point, like, parents should be looped in, but, like, when it's definitely, like, there's, like, a physical threat or could what could be seen as a physical threat, like, it doesn't matter what your secrecy laws are, mm-hmm. like, she's 12. Her mama should be in the know. Right. Um, so, yeah, so Amari's just, he's, she's, um she's just having a bad time um she's like wondering questioning if there's anywhere where she belongs um because again she's also had a similar experience even in the known world um due to racism so it's like and classism so this is kind of just like everywhere she goes she's being rejected and like violently rejected as well um and so then Moreau's voice echoes in her head, join us, Amari, join your fellow magicians. Um, Elsie's trying to, like, keep her, or just try, she's trying to be there for her. She's trying to be a support in, like, the way, any way that she can at this point. Um, so she's kind of like, I know you're sad right now, but not everyone is against you. I'm not. Um, Amari doesn't answer and then feels bad for not answering. Um, but Elsie's like, I know you don't have to say it. She's just being like a great friend. Um, and Ride or die. Literally. 
Um, and then Amari at this point is realizing like she doesn't think she can go back. She's kind of starting to give up. Elsie is like, you can't do that. Um, you know, don't forget about your brother. They want you to feel ashamed of what you are. They want you so scared that you'll quit. And Amari's like, I don't care. I'm gonna, I'll just have to find another way. So at this point, she's just feeling like, again, helpless. And like, these people are really like wearing her down. And like Elsie said, like they want her to feel this way and want her to like give up. Um, So... Okay, so Elsie reminds her that she can't quit and keep her memories. Um, So if she quits, it means that she would forget all of the things that she's already learned, both about the supernatural world and about, like, Quentin um, and his whereabouts. Um, And Amari's, like, thinking about that, but then also thinking, like, I'd also lose the memory of people hating me. I'm just like, where? Like, I just need somebody to do something. Like, hug her and then, like, I don't know, go after them. Not just, yeah. it It's a much bigger issue than just, like, those kids, obviously. Like, they had to learn it from somewhere. But um, I want to see some punishment. <laughs> not to, not to yeah, quote. I, <laughs> I, I agree. I think one of the things that is really interesting in in that, like, or I think it's, like, really well done, is, like, you think about Amari's attitude when she first joins, and Magnus is basically telling her, like, this is what you can expect, and she's so defiant, right? And not defiant in, like, a bad way, but in just, like, a, I'm used to this, this is, like, another Tuesday for me, like, I can, like, not, not that she assumes it'll be easy, but that mm-hmm. she can handle it, right? And she... And her her thought process there is, like, no one else is going to care enough to find Quentin, right? And this is, like, a few weeks later of, like, basically what Magnus said was going to happen, happening to it her. It was just and she's, a week. A, a week. Yeah. Wow. And, and, yeah, and then it's, like, that how not quickly I don't think I think that she is very resilient but like how much that constant um what's the word I'm looking for that that just like constant degradation can like Mm -hmm. get to the point where she she doesn't even yeah care not care she Mm -hmm. cares but like she doesn't think that she can do it Mm -hmm. um so then Elsie calls her a coward. Um, she says, Quentin would fight for you if the situation was, rever- was reversed. You know he would. Um, and Amari's like, Quentin was my brother, not yours. You don't know anything. I may not know him like you do, says Elsie, but I know I'm right. Um, and Amari doesn't have a comeback for that because she does know that. Um, I think it's it's a it's a tough love situation. I think it's one of those where Elsie's like, trying in any way she can you know um mm-hmm. it probably wasn't the best time to say that she maybe could have waited a you know even a day <laughs> it's not like they have to go back tomorrow <laughs> she could have she could have kept it for a little longer um but 
I do understand the like desperation of like, no, I want my friend to be okay. I want her to like not regret giving up this situation. Um, so they pull into uh, Amari's neighborhood, um, and Elsie is kind of like, you know, taking it all in. I think Amari is definitely what's the word like self conscious. Um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like trying to see, I think, well, I think especially because of like what has just happened, I think she's also very like, what's the word? Like raw. And yeah, so it's like way. already feeling like all of this rejection, um, and letting like my friend who I just met but also like clearly like we're in a town car like so clearly she comes from a very different kind of background um and just like you know what is she gonna think what is she like how is she gonna how is that gonna change how she treats me that kind of thing um it's all kind of running through her head um but yeah so they they pass um, like this group of boys hanging out outside of um Mr. Jensen's shop. They're all wearing black bandanas. Um, but they the, as they like stop or pass, they're all they all turn to look at the car. Um and Elsie asks if they know them and or if she knows them. Um and Amari's like, no, but then she does realize that she recognizes Jaden. Um, who is like still running around with uh the wood boys. Um so it's again where like she's just feeling like this they had that conversation before she left, but like Jaden is still in this situation. Um and she's like, if Quentin were around, he'd be so disappointed. He really cares about Jaden. Um and Elsie's like, Sounds like you care too. Uh but I think Amari is like it's this thing that she keeps telling saying is like she's not Quentin. Um and like constantly comparing herself to like putting him on a pedestal, but also like it comes to both I think his detriment and hers, like just the way that she kind of like bigs him up. It's less about like what like not really acknowledging that he could have flaws or does have flaws, not acknowledging that she is a different person and nobody's expecting her to be exactly the same as her brother. Um, I think it also like kind of shows like the lack of like, you can have an impact on someone and it may not, it doesn't look the same, right? Like you're no, you're not Quentin, but that doesn't mean that you don't have an impact on Jaden. It doesn't mean like mm-hmm. she convinces Jaden to like try right this happens before they leave um it kind of evokes quentin in in doing that but like the way in which she appeals to Jaden is different than the way that quentin would appeal to Jaden. but that doesn't make it any less effective it just makes it different right and so i think that's one of the problems with putting quentin on a pedestal and constantly comparing herself to him um is that Yes, it does them both a disservice, but it also kind of stifles her imagination to imagine like how she would get a similar result in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get to the apartment. Um, 
uh, Amari's getting a little more nervous about Elsie seeing where she lives, but she, Elsie's able to, like, Elsie comes inside, but then when she's looking around, like, again, Amari's feeling self-conscious, but Elsie is, like, um... Starstruck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in, like, a really sweet way, and I think it's something that's really interesting, so she says, like, this is where my hero grew up, and where my best friend grew up, too. Um... It just feels really special being here. And I thought it was really interesting that Elsie can be a super fan of Quentin and still be like a genuine friend to Amari. Because I know in a lot of situations, like in these kinds of depictions, it's usually like, oh, I'm only here because you of who you know and like who you're close to or related to. Um, And in this case, Elsie's like, nah, you're my best friend, but also... Quentin's dope and I have all of his memorabilia but it, she like it like doesn't make it weird which I think is really interesting um of like their yeah, it's, dynamic it, when you like think about it in terms of Laura um mm-hmm. Laura is definitely um the kind of person who is going to befriend you because of your proximity to someone else and it doesn't matter who you are as a person um as long as you help her social status and Elsie mm-hmm. is completely different, which is interesting too, because Elsie kind of experienced that through her friendship with Laura. And I think maybe for the better, but like, she knows what that feels like, right. Where it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with who I am. It's all about, you know, what I can do for you or what I can get you. Um, I think that it's like a really great testament to like Elsie's character um, that she also doesn't try to like pretend that Quentin is not a big deal to her, you know, like she's very genuine about both things. Like genuinely he's my hero or one of my heroes Mm -hmm. and genuinely you are one of my best friends. Yeah. Or my best friend. Um. But even further, I think in this moment, Amari is very cognizant of their class difference. And Mm -hmm. she is, uh, she's scared that Elsie's looking around with the lens of like how small and like how much clearly there's a difference between how much money Amari's family has and Elsie's family has. And Amari's Mm -hmm. like hyper aware of um, what that might mean to Elsie and how that might change how Elsie views her and their friendship yeah and I think the fact that Elsie kind of looks around and doesn't have that lens at all is again like great for her but also I think really important for Amari in this moment too of like already feeling isolated um and kind of just like waiting for that other shoe to drop at this point um and then it doesn't um, and I love that that probably means that Elsie's reading Amari's aura the whole time. So that's kind of helping mm-hmm. her like um, decide how to speak to Amari in this moment. Right. Like she can definitely tell that she's like apprehensive and just, yeah, super nervous. Um, I have to say that like, yes, Elsie can read auras and that's part of like who she is as a were dragon. But like the fact that she's still like 12 and like, emotionally intelligent and like adept enough to read the auras in like a giving and selfless way I guess it's like Mm -hmm. she doesn't read it as judgment against her right like when um 
Amari's not like speaking and then she she could very easily get in her feelings about that you know what I mean um Mm -hmm. but she's very just like patient and and I don't know the right word what I'm trying to like say but like she's able to like be empathetic and like like take that and take the information that she has and come at it in a sense um or take that information that she that extra information she gets from auras and stuff and still not center her feelings if that makes sense and that is amazing for someone that age mm-hmm. they're like you're still learning how to not center yourself you know what i mean like you're you're that's something that you like are we're you are adults are like actively trying to teach kids that age you know like other people have things going on not everything is personal like you know what i mean i mean we're still trying to we're trying to learn that throughout life no matter what like but at that time i'm thinking like you know that middle school junior high like Mm -hmm. elder elder elementary wow Mm -hmm. but like you know what i mean like that is like a big deal and it's very hard to get get right and yeah elsie just got it I love mm-hmm. that kid. Like, <laughs> shout um, out to Elsie. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> um, so Elsie asks, uh, what it was like to have Quentin as a brother. Um, Omari's like, well, to me, he was just regular old Quentin. Um, but he was always looking out for me. I couldn't imagine having anyone better. Um, Elsie says that she wishes she had a brother or sister. Um. Her adoptive parents are really nice and she owes them so much, but they're also really busy. Um, So it would have been nice to have someone to talk to or play with. Um, And she says, I think that's why I'm in my head so much. Um, I'll just say as someone with siblings, I'm in my head all the time. So that (laughs) could be like an introvert thing too. I will also say as someone who just got back from a... um, a brunch in which we had to explain to someone that their eye twitching was a sign of anxiety and stress. And he was like, oh, interesting. Cause he's getting married in two weeks. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh yeah, my eye twitched the other day. And we're like, oh, how lovely for you right. <laughs> that you're not constantly in your, I don't know that life, but. That's so funny. You know. Yeah. Levels. <laughs> um, But then. Amari's like, being in your head so much is probably why you're the smartest person I know. Um, And besides, now you've got a best friend, and that's almost as good. Um, So then they're What is the uh, LC Amari? Like, you know, there's Vanquish, which is Quentin and Van Helsing. Um, Maybe that's our question for this episode. I don't know. Elmari? Elmari? Hmm. Oh, Mari. But it, but yeah, I don't know if you can make it yeah. as like, yeah. Vanquish is really uh. There's like a Peter Rodriguez thing that we could do. Rodriguez. <laughs> but it's not a word. The way that like Vanquish is a word, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. But but like, where's the ish part of Vanquish even come from? Because it's just I think like, it's just because Van- it's it's Van and Quentin, but then they just said Vanquish is like a I, it's it's you know what I mean? They I they the toe of it all, and then like yeah, yeah but then but they kind of they yeah. they turned it into yeah. I feel like it's like a pun a little bit, like they 
they was close and then they were like, all right, let's do Vanquish because they vanquished our enemies or so. You know, somebody could just see. Mm-hmm. It's fandom. Fandom loves to to pull it to, they pull it together every time. Um so then uh Maxwell uh comes in and is like, I'm sorry, Miss Rodriguez, but your mother requested I bring you home immediately. She asked me where you were. And when I told her, she got very upset. She doesn't think it's safe for you to be in this part of town. And she threatened to fire me or for um, even bringing me here. So that's not a great way to end this situation. And again, it's like we're seeing (laughs) Amari just has to deal with, which is not like to say, like, it's very true to life, but there's just so many different intersections here um, that she has to deal with. And it's like not wanting to associate like you know having to deal with her being being a magician versus her and like where she lives and having to deal with that back to back is just like hate this for her i think again i think like last chapter we talked about how homegirl has stayed in the sads like her sad cloud is cute because like as she is already having a sad day homegirl was trying to get her out of here that she uh, runs up on a date and then she gets through the um competition only to come back to a hate crime mm-hmm. like and then the people's chanting at her to run away and so here she is having acceptance from elsie while also having elsie's guardians exhibit um like elsie like have rejection on elsie's part even though elsie is not the one who's doing the rejection so it's like when does amari win for real when does amari have a moment to actually and and i think it actually adds to the level of like perspective that she has where she looks she holds quentin in such high esteem to this point because it's like when she's seen quentin in his highs and lows but she's seen Quentin win after win and not have to like have moments like where he's always had a setback immediately after a win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that probably, and I know it has to, because I, I think that's how I look at my life. I'm always like, again, all, like you were saying earlier, like waiting for the next two shooter drop because it can't always be a win for me. It's always going to be something that happens right after that negates whatever positive thing just happened to me. I can't stay on that. You can't stay on a high. It always has to come back to center, which is, always not that great of a center um and I think that being the trajectory of Amari's win to not win uh legacy is kind of like it would merit her being in a headspace so she doesn't really fully enjoy and celebrate everything because she can't because here she comes with something right now like oh I can't even have my Elsie I can't even have my best friend hang over at my house without it being a problem yeah yeah but I think there's also maybe this is just from my perspective. There, There is also a level of protection that she had. Like, she was aware even before, like, you know, about, like, the reputation her neighborhood has. And she was nervous about Elsie seeing her place and seeing where she lives and stuff like that. So I think there's also a little bit of a protection in that of, like, it sucks, but it has much more to say. It it says much more about like classism and um just societal nonsense than it does about me. Because I think that there's just like a a kind of you're you're just used. There's a little bit of like a deadening or 
you get kind of like calloused over of that sense of like, oh, people are automatically judging me because of where I live. Because she's aware of that. You know what I mean? Like she showed signs of that and it makes her feel a little bit better that Elsie doesn't react that way. But it's not that it's not completely out of the blue that people would react that way. But I don't think that's what, I think the thing here is that not that she was expecting it because clearly she was. But the thing is that she was like, even for those moments where she feels like, oh, all the things that I felt that I was negative about, like that I thought this was going to be a bad interaction, even if it goes better than I like initially thought it might go, it's still going to turn out badly for me. It's never going to be completely a win. It's going to still be a, ugh, like a half step, not a full step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so um, yeah, so Elsie has to go. Um, she's like double checked. She's like, "Are you sure you're okay?" Amari's like, "I'll be fine," even though you know she's definitely still going through it. Um, Elsie gives her a hug and says, "I put my number in your phone. Call me, okay?" Um, which is adorable. Um, and so then, and also kind of still funny because like Amari had never had a phone before, so she had didn't even think to ask her best friend for her phone number. Elsie was just like, "I'm gonna just put it in there." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so Okay. Yeah. So um she watches them go and then just to kind of get her mind off of things, she goes she digs in her bag for the spell book, um, which she has again since, you know, Dylan told Laura to put it back where she found it. Um so she is like kind of deciding if what she wants to do, like if she wants to use it. Um, she knows that she's safe at home because um, her mom isn't going to be back for a while, but it does kind of feel like having the book is wrong. Um, but maybe Dylan is right. Maybe it's okay to explore what I am. Um, even after everything, I'm curious to know more about being a magician. So she opens the book to a random page um, and looks at the so the spell is called uh solace and it's create the outward illusion of blinding sunlight from within yourself um cross your arms at your chest and throw them open while exclaiming solace i kind of like the the way that they at least show spells at this point like if you have the magic it feels like it's really it, like it's very simple i guess um yeah excuse me um so she gets to her feet um and she tries it a bright flash makes her jump but it disappears as quickly as it came did it work asked a voice out of nowhere um and it's dylan who is inside creepy. of the television <laughs> it's creepy. very creepy you could literally just send a text no message. it's okay absolutely you just send not. a text you can just say hey is it cool if i come over right and it'd be fine consent who thought about that consent i did think as you but as you were as you were saying you could send a text we just figured out that elsie's like i put my number in your phone so he may not have her phone number because she doesn't really think about that but they dm each other on erg or whatever we're about to get there we're about to get get there but it's still creepy you you can't just like start in the middle of the conversation you gotta like hello yeah wait till she's paying attention 
you know, but, an intro. Don't just don't just act like it's totally her. cool that you that you stalking me. Right, but you're just in the television. Um, in my television. Oh. Um, but he does say that he tried sending her messages and tried calling, but it kept going straight to voicemail because, yeah, which, you know, I get it. Mm-hmm. But then but also, you take, can you not take a hint? Like if someone yeah, that too. Keep going, you could just keep be going, because like, I'm mad about the next thing. He says, so I thought I'd try a more creative approach. If you press the power button, we can see each other. And that's the thing. If it's like, oh, she don't want to. She doesn't want to talk to me or to anyone at this moment. Maybe we just wait. Again, wait till tomorrow. Y'all got two days of this break. Keep we'll going so I can rant. <laughs> I have a rant in a, in a half a page. Okay, okay, okay. okay, okay. So, <laughs> um, so Amari turns the TV on and then Dylan's face appears on the page. Um, and she says, how in the world are you inside the, tel- the television? Tech magic, he says with a grin. Mind if I come over? When? Like now? Yep, he replies. Um, okay, just let me. Dylan appears right in front of her, and she falls into the couch. Bitch. <laughs> Don't just pop in my living room. No. I have ADHD. She I need to even clean finish. up. She didn't even I didn't finish, finish my sentence. Video. Now is colloquial. We all know that now means like, especially she black. Okay, this is I'm black. Now means an hour top. Like as soon as like at least an hour. Now, I don't even know what her house is looking like. Yep. I don't know what she looking she like. She said, um, okay, just, she did it. She was still talking. The okay yeah. wasn't a yes, now. Yeah. How utterly deep, dick dog, dare, how dare. <sighs> how dare you pop up in my living room? In my living room? Not even at the, he didn't even transport to the door to knock. Highly intrusive. Colonizing yeah. behavior. The it is. It's very much colonizing. It's just very much like, like we'll get into it a little bit more too, just about like his dynamic with his family, um, because it it gives. Do not show up at my house. That is no. an end to a friendship. I, are you my friend? If you think you can talk <laughs> to my house, that is like it. an immediate. Oh, I don't fuck with him no more. No. What happened with you and Dylan? I thought you were friends. That nigga said, "Can I come over?" And before oh I god. finished my sentence, he was oh in my, my living god. room. Oh my god! I don't fuck with him no more. He could go to hell. How dare you? <sighs> On that note, that colonizer, not that you know, because is... he. Mm. So it seems like non, True. like the non. <laughs> But, like, seriously, he, like, you, seriously, just, like, you wanted to come over here. You wanted to be in touch with me. I did not, I literally, in the manner of time that it took her to get in a car, riding a car across town to her house, you had messaged her that much if she hadn't responded to you. Let her have her moment. Like, what, how is it that urgent? Seriously. She didn't even get to finish the sentence. Like, yes. Okay, so first off, she, he didn't let her decompress. No. He, he, she don't have a transporter. He knows she doesn't have a transporter, so he didn't even, like, factor in travel time. He didn't let... He didn't let her breathe. And also, he like, he must have been sitting by that TV door. for a second because he had to have known Elsie had left. Like, yes, like, how much did he listen to into her conversation with Elsie? How long were you in my TV? How long? Oh, I didn't even think. How long were you in my TV? 
He's over here Alexa-ing. Like, he's over here sitting inside of things. <laughs> and this is why I don't fuck with Alexa, Siri, none of them. Stop listening Google to me. Home. I'm like, y'all playing? Haven't you said, why would you do that to your house? Mm-mm. And then, like, the decency. What if she's at home alone? What if she was at home alone chilling without no pants on? She transport to the front door. Definitely transport to the front door. She is home alone. How though. dare you? <laughs> How utterly... <laughs> How dare! It's just uh, transport is so like, close that she fell on the couch. She was like, "Oh shoot!" She had to jump back. I'm not jumping back for nobody in my own house. <laughs> I am it's not. Because d- of course, the person who um, personal like proprietariness of like Regency England is the first person to be completely unsettled by the lack of like any level no of decorum. like invitation. No decorum. Yeah. <laughs> you supposed to write me a letter. It goes through the mail and the post. Where is our chaperone? I am a single woman? Single <laughs> child? We ain't got no chaperone? Leave a, a calling card at the front A calling? Door. You ain't leave a card. And also, did you know that in Regency England, there's like a time in which you can visit. You visit like in the early morning, but you can only stay 15 minutes. If you stay past like 15 to 20 minutes, then people are like, oh, they, they married. They engaged. It's the wedding. The wedding invitations are coming. It's a morning visit. It's a hello. How are you? And then you get the fuck out. No, you do not that transport into my awesome. living room. You got to drive all the way over somebody's house. To in a, say hi in a carriage and be there for you would hope minutes. you would hope that you would be doing yeah it's about it's about enough time to have like have a, a cup of tea day scheduled of callings like you're yeah, yeah like, that's you what they did they had they had a schedule uh, okay. of callings like you would call oh, I didn't have this especially for, for like at one like, of the houses um, invitation for a luncheon so you would stop mm-hmm. it's also like especially for um opposite sex so like no yeah i got that if i came to your house and I stayed longer than fifteen minutes. It would be like, oh, they're they're friend friends. This is not an acquaintance visit. An acquaintance visit is you come over, you like stay for fifteen twenty minutes, enough time to have some tea, chit chat, and then you move on about your business. That's crazy. And you probably go to somebody else's house, right? You, but I'm either. Either I don't way, care no, about that because at this point you have, you have transported into my personal space, not even into my living room, into my personal space. She hopped back and fell, appeared right in front of me, and I fell onto my couch in surprise. There is, he could have touched, mm-hmm. didn't even transport to the other side of the room. And in case y'all yeah. don't realize, Dylan's ass is benched. I don't care what happens for the rest of the chapter. Ain't nothing nobody can do. Moreau could show up t- oh today. God. But you done come in my house unannounced and un- and not really invited. The the bare minimum of in the the okay is not a not an excited consent. What do they say that? Like an enthusiastic, enthusiastic. consent. Yeah. That That's wasn't true. fair. No. I I just know that he was sitting over there lingering, waiting to hear whenever Maxwell and Elsie left. Like I know that. Like I oh, just know for he was sitting sure. there. He was eavesdropping. Yeah. Listen, Moreau could come. Portia and her gang of Bigfoot, the Bigfoot Mafia, could come over here and start wreaking havoc. There could be another. There could be another. Oh, right, Merman War. 
World War or I guess Water World Water War Three could bust out. It don't matter. Dylan is benched. Do not ever presume. Do not ever show up at my door. Not at my door would even be better. Do not yeah, show up at my better. door. Is definitely better. This is the height of disrespect. Yeah. Love BNC content? Want to see the tricks behind the treats? Every month we drop behind the scenes and bonus content on our Patreon. Baddies at any tier get access to notes, process videos, and podcast outtakes. Support us on Patreon at any tier by going to patreon.com slash blacknerdscreate. So Dylan points to the metallic band on his forearm and forearm and says he borrowed his dad's transporter transporter. Um, he has so many he won't even notice. I don't um, even care. Get out of my house. So transport your ass like, back home. Amari asks if he's sure that uh that his parents won't get mad um about him being in the I don't care. I hope they ground your ass. Get out of my home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dylan says uh, maybe, but he doesn't make it a habit of telling them where um, he's going. Um, some... And then Amari says, "Must be nice. My mama, my mom might work all the time, but she's got neighbors trained to keep an eye on me. Whenever I sneak sneak out, I know she'll hear about it." Um, and this like something like it's an interesting contrast. Honestly, like he has this privilege, but also there is a like distinct like neglect that's going on here from his parents. They don't know he's twelve years old. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what's going on with him. They don't know they assume his little like collection of magician books is a uh bad. Is it a yeah like it's just a phase and like Mm. they just go about their business and let their kids do whatever. They allowed their other twelve year old to max out a credit card. Like it's just like so like and that I, in I know comparison, she, I know her mom knows she did that. I know she knows she, she had to have, but like that in comparison to Amari, who like even like again, they both have parents who aren't around like all the time for different reasons. Um, but only one of them. But again, Amari has like a community around. around her, and like if yeah. her mom and doesn't is feel there, neglect from her mom because right. her mom exactly. makes it a point to be like. I know where you're <laughs> at. Like you know what I mean. She has a community around her to make sure, and like that's an interesting. It's also just like I think an important layer to add on to like where Amari lives. And so, you know, it can be dangerous. Like a lot of folks are, you know. Here's my like, thing. And I we're I'm gonna get into we're gonna get into it later. Cause it's a it's a reason we're gonna get into it later. But the thing about because it's I like for better or worse, it's kinda like it's what may be thought of as the hood. And whatever the hood is, the hood is whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the hood is only dangerous to people who ain't supposed to be there, right? Just like if you go to a right. gay community, mm-hmm. if they per- that's what happened to Trayvon yeah. Martin. If they perceive for whatever reason that you're not supposed to be there, then it's dangerous for you, right? Right. So and like and it's a but again, it's, like, I, it's a community. They know each other. They looking out for each yeah, other. Like, they oh, know why is Amari in this town car? Like, who are these people? Like, let me look out for you. And so, like, it's just a different. Whereas, like, like you said, like in a gated community or even in like like wherever they live in their however many houses the Van Helsings don't have folks looking out for them like Laura doesn't even have any real friends 
I mean, we like we see this all the time, especially in, in like this era of like gentrification and stuff, where it's like very stark of like people assuming danger. They belong everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, not that they belong everywhere. That too, but like they assume a a danger in something that in the unfamiliar, which I think it's like human nature in general. Like if I'm in a gated community of like white folks, I'm gonna assume danger as well. And I think that that's like natural and and correct. But like there's something about the I guess it's like the marriage of those two things, right? We're assuming danger in like the unfamiliar, but then also assuming that you are just allowed or are able to be anywhere that you choose. And like that that marriage of those two ideologies coming together in like colonizer white privilege, all of those things. Because like Dylan says, like, I'm not in the habit of telling my parents where I'm going. Or isn't that what he says? Like, I don't usually make a habit of telling them where I'm going as a 12-year-old. Right. Which is like, there's a level of neglect, yes, but like conceit or something that is like, He's, I don't even, makes, I, think I don't feel like a bad I'm not boy. In, like, even if I feel cool in that moment and saying that to Amari, like, oh yeah, like, I might, well, pa- yeah, I but I, I yeah, but also there's like a level of like, safety in telling people where you are right like we talked about this Mm -hmm. with um when amari decides to go meet him as as a magician girl whatever Mm -hmm. and like the it's more on like this um gender lines and sexism Mm -hmm. of like women being socialized to like let people know their locations and telling them where they are there's a there are certain things uh you know all adolescents and kids do this where you keep things from your parents because you want to feel a level of autonomy or whatever but like I don't find it to be a status thing that I don't feel comfortable telling my parents where I'm going. Right? Because I'm like, why mm-hmm. am I going? You know, like they're, you know, I'm going to a party or I'm not supposed to, whatever. And I know those people and I'm going like with a group of friends that I trust. But like, it's not a flex to not make it a habit to tell your parents where you're going. No, but I think it's also like he- when you're 12, though. When you're 12, when you're it's 12, like you don't it might trust be, them. But also- it's it's the thing is is that like, I don't answer to so much more like, about I think it's what he's trying to sound like. Yeah, but it also sounds so much says so much more about his parents than he than I think he's even thinking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in his head, this is like a you know I'm cool. I don't have to worry Independent about these things. But it's yeah, and I can like go where I want. But also like the fact that somebody could ask your father, "Where's your son?" and he'd have to be like, "I don't know." Or, I or he would just make something up, or make nothing. something up, he or whatever. Like, but like, or he would assume, oh, not... he's in his room, or whatever. Yeah. Right, but it's also just like I know. It's also I think like a a posturing thing, like you're like we've said, but like people posture for a reason, right? They don't just do mm-hmm. it be- to do it. They're doing it because they hide. They're hiding something, and I think like not hiding something in like like hiding their feelings about the situation, right? Like that mm-hmm. neglected by his parents has to be have an effect on him. Um, and it's probable that he kind of like expresses it in a way to make it seem like, you know, it's cool. It doesn't bother me. I get to do what I want. I can steal transporters, whatever. Yeah. He's going to have, um, he's trying to have an Elsa moment. He's worried like the cold doesn't bother me anyway, but secretly <laughs> inside he's a little bit like, he's freezing. <laughs> my parents don't care where I am. I'm exactly. a little sad about that. But I'm because it's that, like my like, parents. And also knowing that my parents. Care enough. Right, they don't care enough, and also the fact that, you know, 
don't forget he's also a, a magician so mm-hmm. there's also the like knowing that my parents wouldn't even like me or would you know reject me if me. they knew who I actually yeah was. who I was to begin with so it's all yeah, yeah it's it's a lot of levels to me yeah there's definitely a lot to me it feels like there is a a lack of safe not safety a lack of care my yeah i tell my parents where i'm going I, i hell i was an adult in a different city and I would just talk to my parents. Where are you going? Oh, I'm yeah. going here. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it, I don't make a habit of telling them where I'm going. Like, okay, if if it is just I'm going to see Amari, which, you know, she's a magician. She lives in a place that I know that they wouldn't. Um, I don't make a habit of telling my parents stuff I don't when want them to know. Rules. It's a, <laughs> yeah. It's a different, different it's a different statement. Mm-hmm. then I don't make a habit of telling them where I am or where mm-hmm. I'm going. It's a, That's a sad thing from, like, a 12-year-old. But he's trying to come off as devil may care. He wants yeah. to think he's right or strong mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. 90s era Boy Meets World. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> right or strong was actually, like, the character of Sean was actually more sensitive mm-hmm. than he put now on, I'm right? Like, with the hair. Right. <laughs> I'm thinking of like the the Fresh Prince. Why he don't want me, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I don't need him. Aww. Yeah, mm, you don't need him, but you might want him around. Yeah. Um. So they talk about. Uh, so Amari brings up like what happened back at the bureau, um, and Dylan says you can't let ignorant people get you down, Amari. Um, and she's like, that's easy for you to say. Every Nobody knows you're a magician. Um, everyone wants to be friends with you. Um, but Dylan is like, I might smile and play along, but I know they'd treat me the same as you if they learned the truth. Maybe worse because of who my family is. Trust me, I know who my real friends are. Um, and then he says that he wishes Maria was here. Um, she'd like, cause he, he would want to ask her how she dealt with having to lie about being a magician all the time. Um, and again, I mean, I think there is definitely like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's definitely different struggles in like mm-hmm. being a secret, like having to keep your status as a magician, a secret, a secret versus like having to be out about it. Um, and yeah it can sometimes be hard to kind of like parse because dylan is so very privileged and like (laughs) has those moments where you're just like bro please do better um and i think that there is like a constant and amari gets here too of like having to realize that like those privileges do not negate the struggles mm-hmm. um but that also goes both ways like your struggle yeah. does not negate your privilege you know mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a matter of them both kind of seeing the totality of each other yeah i will say to talk for the tech thing specifically too like 
just it's a, like Dylan being a tech wizard reminds me of like in this conversation about privilege and danger like he is not in the level of inherent danger that Amari is presented with as someone going directly to her room and showcasing how much they can like get to her easily just from the basic privilege of him being born of Van Helsing he'll never have that issue of someone being able to come into his space at any given time and put a death threat on the wall nor would they likely be uh, bold enough to try to cross the Van Helsings to create a, a, a death threat against them. So Dylan will never have that issue. And it reminds me of like Black women who have been on facing the brunt of like trollings where they're literally getting the worst of the worst threats for very like just general tweets, general discourse that they're having and only because they are Black women. And I feel that specifically for Amari and the level of not only like the different levels of protections between her and Dylan, um, but specifically because she is vulnerable in that way. She's never, she, it's for Dylan to kind of like misrepresent um, how they're on a playing field. Like they seem like they have a level playing field of like they're being in a similar amount of danger when they actually have very differing cons, like issues of danger um, and likeliness to be like, in like imminent peril um of just based on their identities like dylan like i mean and again he's i don't know there are 12 year olds who have access to the internet and critical race theory that i did not have as a 12 year old so i can't say because as a 12 year old he may not just be there yet um but like literally like they just need there's a level of conversation that needs to happen here that's not happening um and i would hope if they were to have some actual friendship they could get there because that's what that's not what's being said here and it really needs to get touched on yeah I mean I I, I agree with you of like it's very difficult especially in this day and age I felt that sounds really old but it's very difficult to think about like you know there are certain questions of morality and awareness that you you can very clearly say like no matter no matter where you're at or what level of privilege you have or whatever, like you should hit these kind of basic milestones by these certain points, right? Like you don't need to be rich um, and well taken care of to be 12 years old and know that like joining a mob and heckling someone for who they are is a bad thing. Like that at, at, at around 12, you should be able to like know that right? Or feel some type of way about that, right? Dehumanization or that kind of level of whatever. It is difficult around around that age too, though, to kind of look outside of yourself and say, you know, these are the different ways and like these inputs affect people or outputs, you know? Um, so I, I want to, I do, it's hard because Dylan makes some choices throughout this book um that just make it really difficult to to give grace to give him the benefit of the doubt um and a large part of that too is because of his privilege but you i i think about this in terms of like we we you know this is like a conversation that happens around whiteness of like all of the ways in which that white privilege actually stunts people and like the, the things that they don't know, the things that they've never had to know um, and how it keeps them kind of ignorant and beholden to like 
being taken advantage of in other ways. Like we think, we, you know, we talk about this all the time when it comes to like classism and how racism is used to prop up this sense of like superiority so that they don't even recognize how they're being exploited and abused. Right. Mm -hmm. They lean on feeling better than, you know, people, other people are, I have it better than other people or whatever. When it's like, well, actually you're closer to us than you are to the billionaires of the world. Right. Um, and so it's, it is very difficult to like, or it, you have to kind of be cognizant of giving Dylan grace and really thinking about those things. But at the same time, I do think that these are the times, and this is like the thing that I kind of, I hope for Dylan and I hope for all kids of privilege and stuff. Like these are the times in which you know, Amari has this moment of like, oh, that is true. I never thought about the struggles he has of being a quiet magician. And at least people are upfront with me. I know clearly how they feel about me. And I, but I also, that means I also know clearly who the people that truly are on my side are. Like I, mm-hmm. there's no ambiguity that Elsie is on my side. Right. right? It's not like, I don't have to second guess like, oh, she's being nice to me, but would this flip if she knew that I was a magician in the same way that like Dylan does, right? I wish that there was also a counterpoint in which Dylan can stop and think, mm-hmm. you know, like it is difficult to be this in silence, but I also know, or not know, but like, I don't know what it's like for people to not bend over backwards to give me the benefit of the doubt. Uh-huh. Even if you think back to them to them winning the first trial, Amari is the one, like, in front of their entire kind of class of trainees explaining, you know, what got her, you know, the winning. Like, we know clearly at the end of that, everyone in that room, everyone in the, in the training department knows that Amari did got them over the hump, got them over the finish line. And that still doesn't stop them from turning around and going to the celebration and acting like Dylan did it on his own. Mm-hmm. And Dylan from saying anything to stop that from being what happened. Like whenever it was right. pointed out, he was just like, oh yeah. But I yeah. got a key. Like he didn't even like stop. <laughs> he, doesn't inter- like... he doesn't stop and interrogate like what that must feel yeah. like from Amari's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, very rarely, like, apologizing. He's usually just, like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, again, he says, like, I know who my real friends are. That's kind of where he He's not self-reflective enough. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's always, it's also very much, like, he's, like, he's so used to it being this way. He's accepted that this is the way that it is. And he doesn't want to, he's not pushing against it. Like, oh, yeah, this is just the way that it is. And and Mm -hmm. that's why I, again, I'm in a place where I'm, like, I though I do kind of want to give some leeway for age, I also am like, I don't know if I, that I actually want to, because I don't know that he's actually trying to be a friend to Amari, because he's not actually trying to be considerate, like, in a way that a friend would be considerate of these things, that they actually cared about you. Like, how does Amari feel about X? Yeah. And, I mean, even that, though, we I think we talked about this, like, last week, even that is a little bit difficult, because then you have to get into the fact that, like, his family has never set him up to understand that that's the thing he should be aware of how to be a friend yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's a it's a complicated thing which i think is like 
also, you know, the point, yeah, and is also like the tale of like a good character. Um, there's just a lot of different levels. I think I think where it irks me, I guess, is that the Amaris and Elsies of the world don't get all the leeway that a Dylan will get, and not knowing how to be a friend. Sure. Yeah. Like absolutely, we will be expected, like women of color, black women in particular, will be expected to know things without actually having any direction that this person knows this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're expected to be nurturers or whatever without even knowing that this ever this person's ever been trained to be a nurturing kind of person. Like, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why it irks me. Where I'm like, I am not going to give too much leeway because if I'm going to get the same level of leeway that would be given to Amari or given to a young me. I'm not going to give any more than that. Yeah, and I feel like this is, like, the really difficult part of that, too, is, like, you know, you, it's not on you to have to teach those things, or it's, I, it should not be Amari's job to be, like, hey, Dylan, <laughs> it doesn't look like you're aware of this, but X, Y, Z, like, these are how you could be a better friend. Um, You shouldn't have to, but unfortunately, because of where he's coming from and who his familial like what his familial situation is like it's going to take someone it's going to take an amari to be the one to teach him those things and she's not equipped (laughs) right so yeah but also it just again like shows how like how how people are enabled and socialized to be this way like whether you give them the grace or not it's like very clear um like how he got here um okay so amari's like i wish there was a, a way that we could just magic vanquish home um if only says dylan but hey we're becoming junior agents right we can uh find them ourselves um amari again is still like not really wanting to go back she's like that drawing they hate Mm -hmm. me dylan um and he's like so you're really just giving up when you could be the one to find them um and amari doesn't want to talk about it anymore which i think makes sense like she's got elsie calling her a coward on this side got dylan being like we could be the ones to do like you know he didn't say me he said you well you but i mean like yeah but i mean like the way he says it though sounds very much like as a team yeah yeah not as a team but like also like at, like we could be the ones versus like we could just find like somebody could find them it's more about like her or like us versus like the their mm-hmm. siblings if that makes sense um so dylan is disappointed but he is like okay let's see that spell you were trying yeah so they try again amari throws her arms open and says solace this time the tips of her fingers begin to shimmer but that's it dylan starts to laugh um and says that she could try to be a little enthusiastic um, when she performs the spell. Um, you sound like the last thing you want is for it to work. Remember, your magic is alive. It can sense your doubt. Which, world building, I love that. <laughs> like, if, you're, <laughs> if your heart's not in it, it's not going to work. So you got to actually, like, you, gotta, want you to have work. to want to do it. Yeah. Um, that is so funny, though, because as someone who struggles with the anxiety and imposter syndrome i can see that like i don't i don't even know if it's like you don't want it to work it's just like you just doubt yourself yeah 
I think in this case, Amari was, like, I think you're right. Um, I think in this case, Amari was very much just, she's just not in the mood. Yeah. She's, is like, dealing with others. She's not feeling it. Yeah, she's just like, uh, whatever. And, like, being being a magician so far has cost her nothing but heartache and pain. So it's like, even if I wanted to get better at this, like, of course, so, I'm not so even worth it. Yeah, right. but also, but also like, of yeah, course like, I'm not good at this. Like, of course, I'm not, I'm not good at anything else right now either. So, of course, yeah. this is one more thing I'm not doing great at. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like to your point, Robin, like, yeah, it's just it definitely can show how things can be a little more difficult. Um, it's one just, of the like, things about thing the is, like uh outsider coming into a magical world that I always I, I in terms of world building I love the idea of like you have to really like believe it your magic is alive it's going to only do as much as it knows innately you want it to do mm-hmm. but I I think that there is like also a lack of like explicit oh you don't really want this work versus like I don't know what the i'm doing i'm right. not born to like what is what is it supposed to actually yeah. yeah yeah like how am i how am i confident in this spell that i've never seen no mm-hmm. one's ever taught me this book that you've just given me is illegal like i don't know what i'm doing so i have yeah. no i have no frame of reference for what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. of course i'm not like out the gate killing right. it i'm kind of like is this even supposed to work um it reminds me uh, of the um i hate going back here but it's so embedded into like my frame of magical reference but like when ron weasley and the like first harry potter is like turn this big fat rat yellow or whatever and it's like once we learn like i always thought that that was really crazy because he grew up in a magical house you know the what spells sound like. Does that sound like any spell you've ever heard your mama and daddy say? Is there any Latin in that? Like, why are we doing right. a nursery rhyme, right? But, like, someone he trusted was like, this is how you turn a rat yellow. And he's like, all right, I guess so, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess we're going to do But also in Halloween yeah, Town, but... uh, <laughs> they do make, like, a magic being based on want. Like that empowers how well your magic performs. Um, I think that's just, mm-hmm. and I think it's general for most magical world building is how much your need and wants for a thing goes behind how uh, well your spell performs. Um, so even under the tutelage of a magical grandmother, um, the like the Hallowell, like I forgot what her first name was. Um, daughter for Halloween Town, she still needed that like mantra of like putting a lot of want in it and like an emphasis on wants and like making it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean I I get that, but I just think the like the default of like you you sound like you don't really want it versus like I think a part of that want or not want, but what does he say like um. it can sense your doubt, right? Like, you're a part of that doubt isn't just, oh, I don't really want this thing. I'm not really feeling it. Like, that's a, that's a part of Amari's emotions, I, I assume. But I think another part of it is just, like, I don't have confidence that I am capable, you know? And, like, that is also doubt. It's self-doubt. 
it's self-doubt. Yeah. And so I think that that is like something that I just would like to be like acknowledged a little bit more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Amari tries again. Um, her whole body suddenly feels warm and tingly. Um, her hands are glowing. And a few seconds later, her whole body burns bright. Uh, Dylan dispels the the spell um, and says, you almost got too bright After for a second. After having his eyes. Right. Which, like, I, I get it. You don't want to be in, a, in the room with the sun. Like, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> That's so. Um, I also want to note that the arm movement sounds somewhere between Wakanda Forever and like the Bronx going up, like just going yeah. up. <laughs> it does, because <laughs> definitely cross and then go out. <laughs> um, Amari's like, that was so cool. And then <laughs> here goes Dylan. <laughs> you think that was cool? Check this out. So he waves over the spell book, opens it to the last page. Um, the only thing written on it is the end with a picture of a black leather book beneath the words. It's the old cover before. Amari used a spell to turn the book red. Um, Dylan extends two fingers and waves them over the page and says, dispel. The book begins to shake and suddenly this isn't the last page anymore. It's closer to the middle and more words appear under the end so that the page now says, the end of fair magic and the beginning of magic most foul. Dylan turns the page. (laughs) This is like, I'm going to keep going, keep going. I like the magic here. I do like the magic. I have so many things I like things a collapsible book. I love that it's like a Mary Poppins book. I love that. Yes. I think that the magic of the book is dope. Like, I think that's really cool. I think the way that, like, Madam, I don't remember her name, like, the way that she um, reveals information in the book, I think mm-hmm. that's dope. Um, the fact that he went from, oh, you like this one spell where you can make your- You're like, like, you learned one spell. You want to see something cool? Like, no. Can we learn the... She hasn't even done all of the fair magic. She hasn't even gotten excited. She barely even, like, clipped the... Touched like, the surface. the surface of, of magic, fair magic. Period. And, magic, period. And now, all of a sudden, you're opening the book to... Okay. So this is... Okay, because we're already, we've already gone there. Well, I'm just going to continue to go in there. This is where Dylan is such a boy to me. And, a, <laughs> and I say this in the, like, school shooting Columbine you little boys are terrifying type of thing is that like and I don't mean this in uh I mean I guess it is derogatory or I don't know what but or no but I think that part of this is like stereotypical or whatever but there is like a thing Dylan is I can't never mind I can't say that without potentially spoiling but there is this thing I think about like like the recklessness of boys and i think it's like a socialization thing and there's and there's also levels too depending on class privilege all these other things of like how reckless they will go um and just like jumping to the craziest stuff like i took my one-year-old niece naya to the playground and this little girl decided that not, this is the other thing about like children, like older children look at like toddler sized children as just like, like a tickle me Elmo. They're like the, an elite toy. 
Like, I don't think that they really <laughs> understand that, like, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, this is, yeah. like, a doll baby that is yeah. just, like, top of the line. Like, no, play. that is actually a, a baby baby, and we need to have yeah. some great, like, gentleness or whatever. So this Sounds little like, girl yeah. is like, come on. She's, like, holding her hand. She's still, like, though very, like, caring about it, right? There are, like, a couple times where I'm like, okay, slow down. You know what I mean? When you like, say the other little girl, like, how old is this other little girl? I think she's probably like five or six. Naya's one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know, slow down. You're trying to go up on the big slide. And she's waiting for her, but she's also like a little bit pushing. force pushing. Yeah, and like a little bit forceful. This little boy just runs through my baby. I, I will smack. The, I just, no sense of like, you know, like the little girl is still like, come on. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, I have to be like, okay, you know, calm, gentle, whatever. But this little boy is like tunnel visioned. Oh, we playing tag. We playing whatever. Like, and Naya's playing with them, but has no sense of like, like the, the different, you know what I mean? And just is like zero to a hundred real quick. And it was just like a very, and like rough and tumble type of thing. And it was just a very like stark thing where you're like no, gender differences are real a lot of them are socialized but there's there are by a lot just like gendered because her his parents too were like calm down you know what I mean like it's not like he wasn't being corrected but it was just like I had that moment of like wow that leap is so quick and there is a there is a recklessness like this innate recklessness that I just think that like even if if Dylan was Maria, but even if Maria was like twelve, like I don't know, I just like Elsie, you know, I, like the 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 people that are introducing Amari into like the magical world, like there's a understanding of like a like a baby steps and like you know what I mean, like Elsie t- okay. being like I can read your aura, but like it's a little bit like you know explaining what that means and you know like taking it easy. Dylan just bypasses all of that in like a reckless way that I I'm just like god damn <laughs> it's yeah. just like, like it's like I don't want to say what I want to say without it being yeah I have things to say about this point but I but they <laughs> yeah. are probably spoilers and so I yeah. I think I have to wait until we get to the end of the book <laughs> I say, for the recklessness I will say that I think that the recklessness is very much aligned with what we saw like just two minutes ago with the whole um pop it into my house uh, yeah Yeah. and but like him also trying to put on that facade of like um like my parents don't know where I am and like I that's like my thing he's also trying to be like that kind of person to her when it comes to magic of like um they don't even know the spells I get up to but I can show you like I can be I'm up there like I'm like you know like he's a a level of expert that Amari he can help Amari get to or whatever because he thinks that like that's his role for her is like show like showing her into these things that he has decided that she's prepared to do um because he's ready for her to do those things um and how that's related to how much he thinks that he's ready to do things because of how he's kept his parents at bay and stuff like that so I think there's a level of like general assumption uh, based on what his own wants are, which I also think is closely tied to gender and socialization, but also um, privilege and how he's gone through life and how he's been able to regard um, 
what's right and what's wrong for himself and how he decides who's what's right and what's wrong for other people as well. Yeah, it's so intertwined. It's like, like I think that's right. Like there is like the, I'm thinking about it from just like a gendered, like reckless, com- unearned confidence kind of thing. And like, yeah, I'm sure that a lot of that is also informed by the fact that like his unearned confidence has never seen any consequence. <laughs> so yeah. why not? Yeah. I mean, like, it's enabled, it's, again, it's enabled, it's, like, and, and rewarded in some situations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, he went from zero to 100 so quickly. Like, quick. <laughs> honestly, shocking. Um, Whiplash over here. Like, so she and it's, the she thing is, is, like, this. To, like, chapter three. She, she, she opened the, the Tyrannic page, said, this one sounds cool. Right. Tried one spell. One spell, and Dylan was like, "All right, now it's time. Let's go." And I just like, <sighs> and then he like, so she she comes back and is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, well, why would you that, show me this? We oh, okay. can read what the what what the thing is, what the spell is." Um, so Dylan turns the page that you have found these pages speaks to a willingness to wield more than what fair magic can provide. However, this pursuit comes with a dire warning. The foul magic contained on the following pages is not for the faint of heart. As I learned in their creation, uttering these spells will cost you. For once innocence is lost, it cannot be regained. Uh, This next, the spell is called Magnophobia. Allows an illusionist the ability to pull out the very darkest fears from your opponent's mind to craft an illusion around them that they shall believe is real. As the name suggests, the spell can inflict great mental harm. Do not use it lightly. Then stare into your opponent's eyes, and Amari slams the book shut at that point. Um, and is like, "Why would you show me that? Because <laughs> why would he show her that?" Um, he says, "I know these spells sound awful, but we need to be able to protect ourselves. You saw how how far people are willing to go because they don't like us. I just don't want anything to happen to you. Is all self defense only." Um, so this is the the thing that I wanted to say about this. This reminds me a lot of like that kind of sense of you know <laughs> the anti kind of CRT and like if and the the white replacement theory of like if people of color or the global majority get the kind of power that like the white minority has had throughout history that they would use it in the same way as white people have in the past right like they will then mm-hmm. You know, um, during the 2020, like, summer, what are we calling that? Summer resistance? I don't know. But there there was a very powerful, someone had a very powerful speech about how people are lucky that what we want is equality and not revenge, right? I always talk about it in the sense of, like, there is a, an inability to not center, like, whiteness in them saying this whiteness tm has this like inability to not center itself so much that they think that if i got equality or any sort of like institutionalized power that my first instinct is to then use it to subjugate someone whereas i we as a global majority just want to be left alone we just want that's what our ancestors have wanted from the beginning which is the mind their own dang business just mind your business right like business that's like a huge thing with like Karens, right? It's like when you see those Karen videos, most of the time the person of color or whatever is like, leave me alone. Mind your business. Why are you questioning me? 
living my life, right? And I think that it's very telling and interesting that like Dylan's justification for showing her this is to is to immediately play on what she's just seen, right? What she's just experienced with like mm-hmm. the hate and all of that stuff and say like, this is self-defense. No, there it's are not. other ways yeah. of self-defense and that's not self-defense, that's and retribution. It's, and, it's, and it's also how- And revenge. Can, like you can tell that this is how magicians get like- That rap. Not get that rap, but that's how you. That's how they can get radicalized. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. Like you're shown that you don't belong in a really violent way, and then here comes someone else being like, "Here's how you can protect yourself." And the next thing you know, you're doing foul magic <laughs> against <laughs> your like to protect yourself. You know what I mean? And then like it, it, yeah. I again Spirals. don't want to say too much, but that's like, yeah. But that is definitely very clear. The but something that also shows how prescriptive mm-hmm. Dylan is being for uh, this is this is again going back to my I don't know I just can't give Dylan the leeway that I he might deserve. Um, is that like he is aware to an extent that Amari is so scared that she feels in need of defense and he's being prescriptive about like he knows what's best for her as like what she needs to be get through the danger that she feels because he understands um because he's also a magician and he knows that like he feels unsafe um and you know he doesn't say like oh I can only imagine or like whatever he's just like oh no this is definitely what you need and like is being very like just like directly telling her rather than like asking her again where's that consent uh that's just like I I think it just keeps coming back to this like character flaw of of Dylan where he just like there's a level of just not listening like he's got his father is but like he's not asking at all at any given point what Amari actually truly feels like she needs what could be helpful to her in this moment um, you this spell uh, worked for you. This is this is where I got pissed off the most about it too. He saw her do the solace spell. It was so bright that it blinded him. He had to cover his eyes. So clearly, she now now knows a spell that could be good for her use defensively. And mm-hmm. instead of working on using the things that are like already in her realm of like magic that she could start get started with in the fair passage, he takes her directly into the foul magic. There's no reason why she couldn't use solace as a defensive mm-hmm. spell. She just needs strategic thought to make that a defensive strategy. But for the most part, like that, there's no reason. And instead of being that thought-minded, he's honestly taking her to a place she's not ready to go. And she's mm-hmm. barely it's ready to tap into like, solace. Mad suspicious. Portia said, I don't so, trust nobody. Stand no man. <laughs> I don't care that if he's part. 12. Stand no man. I don't trust nobody. Um, <laughs> So Amari's like, I don't care. I don't want to learn anything like that. Um, she didn't realize her magic could be that dark. Is it any wonder people fear, fear magicians? Um, you might not have a choice, Amari. If you were ever to be challenged by another magician, you could have your magic stolen. Magicians don't survive that. Um, which, what does that have to do with the 
other part of what he was talking about, you know? Like, what, what does well, that think, still say anything about um, keeping her magic safe? It doesn't say anything yeah. about keeping her magic safe. I think that's the, the one thing, too, where you were talking, Portia, about, like, how, you know, Solus seems like, oh, it's a bright, shiny spell or whatever, but, like, if you blind someone, you can... That's a defensive spell if used in the right context and with the mm-hmm. right, like, you know. And I think part of the problem is, like, like you said, like, or like we've said, like going from zero to a hundred, it takes away your creativity to, to do, to think about defensive magic. Like the not, like, I think this is kind of what I get from Amari, which is like, I don't even want to know that I can do this or that my magic could be this dark because then it's in my head mm-hmm. and I am going to jump from solace to, you know, magnophobia magic most foul that's all you know right but it's also not a magician she's having trouble accepting being a magician herself she's still on the journey of acceptance for herself like Mm self-acceptance she's having Mm -hmm. societal rejection because she's a magician and that's coloring how she sees magicians and herself so to put her in this place where she's learning dark magic off jump from magicians is going to make her have rejection of of that part of herself even more well, yeah. so this is what this reminded me of, and this is hilarious because you know I'm old. That scene in Friday where Craig's dad is like, "Y'all are pussies." You like going straight from a gun, like when back in my day we used our fist, and if you wanted to start some shit and you couldn't finish it with your fist, then it wasn't worth starting. Mm-hmm. But now you. you jump to gun, and what I think is like when it's in your head that that is a tool that you can use then you don't think about like alternatives, alternative strategies. This is what we talk about with like even police brutality, right? Like they're supposed to be able to deescalate. They don't because they have this like get out of, you know, end it now or get out of jail free, pass go, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. whatever, like straight to the end tool. It's a shortcut. Um, but in that shortcut, like, you know, you're, 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 you're moving to extremes and then it's very hard once you get, once you start thinking in extremes to parse back. Um, And once you know that those extremes exist, because then you are also thinking like, this is how Dylan shows that he thinks he thinks that anyone he comes up against is going straight to magic most foul. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going up against uh, another magician, they're going to take my magic. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Um, Amari reiterates, no. Um, she says, I don't want to learn magic to hurt people. I won't be like Moreau and those other bad magicians, and you shouldn't use that stuff either. Um, Dylan says, sorry, you're probably right. I guess I just thought, well, let me make it up to you. There's something else I wanted to show you, but it'll mean using my dad's transporter. Um, Amari hesitates because that was some weird that stuff. That was crazy. <laughs> 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 um, it was very weird and we you know she's looking at him a little different now which as she should um so he says it's about teaching you to use your illusions something that's not in your spell book and amari like clarifies that it's fair magic um dylan promises and then they uh transport to um this to they, it's a van, van helsing lake house um 
that has been in the family for ages, but Dylan's the only one who comes here because they have so many houses that they just have them and don't use them. Um, in the housing crisis, no less. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I feel like also, house has many transporters. He doesn't miss one. He has enough children. He doesn't care if one is MIA. Two are MIA because where's the uh, where is Rosario? <laughs> and but, so I was gonna note that um, just generally, like I love like again, BB Austin wrote this book so well, and I really appreciate that the magic is fair versus foul rather than dark versus light which is Agreed. I feel like a like a big yes. colorist issue that mm-hmm. a lot of magic doesn't actually talk about um and I'm glad that he got through that by making fair versus foul Agreed. And it's also just like more It sounds correct. Less, like foul magic sounds scary. Yeah. Not lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like um, oh, this is foul? Oh. Ew. Yikes. And it, um, to me, it, like, it, it feels more, you know, I mean, you know, like, the dark side and into the light or whatever. It's the same thing, but, like, foul, I mean, like, to me, it feels more, like, rotten. Rotting. Mm-hmm. Like, things are naturally dark. Uh, mm-hmm. I, right. with my Lupita Nyong'o skin, okay. naturally dark. Relax. You know, the sun goes <laughs> down, and then the night. The nighttime is not bad. It's just darker, right? Like, mm-hmm. you need the contrast. To see everything, if you're mm-hmm. if we're going like you know in the flowery language of symbolism and all that stuff, like contrast is important. Darkness is important to light. You can have something be fair and not be foul, yep. right? You can use your magic before it starts to rot. Yeah, but also it's like for I think uh, specifically for like the first spell that opens up the foul section is very much like playing foul like you're mm-hmm. going to people someone's deepest darkest like parts Fear. of their of themselves yeah. and you're using it against them that's foul that's foul behavior yeah. uh whereas if you're if someone's battling you and you freaking blind them with the light that's fair i mean they, they like, knew you could use them i'm trying to come back at you, you know? mm-hmm. the game is the game um <laughs> <laughs> so uh they go into the lake house um and Dylan leads her to a doorway near the back um, of this like empty living room. He says, I might not be as strong an illusionist as you are, but it's still my favorite kind of magic. Painting illusions is sort of my hobby. Um, so one thing, I don't remember if we talked about this, but I wonder, can Amari learn other forms of magic? Because at this point, like Dylan is obviously tech magic is his main thing, um, but he can obviously use other magic. And I wonder if that's like because he is not a born magician or... I think you know what, what I mean. We, like, I, what we, what, I, I can't the, remember if we decided this or if it was explicitly said. Um, but you you have an affinity for a type of magic. I think, yeah. You know, Dylan, but then you can learn it. more. But I'm. But, but you I can also learn wonder more. If, but you you wouldn't. You, I don't think you can master more than like the thing that you have an affinity for. Like you can mm. get a, a level of like, you know, like if you think about it in terms of like language learning, right? You can be beginner intermediate advanced and then fluent yeah. like i don't think that you could get to fluency in other magi- mm. magic that you don't that you, that you don't have the natural affinity for you could become kind of advanced or intermediate yeah but it taps out at a certain point that's how i understood it word um so yeah so they go down um into the basement um and 
basically Tildellan's illusion is a forest of twinkling neon lights, trees and bushes, shimmering leaves of blue and pink and purple. Um, he's got almost the whole basement covered. And so he kind of leads her through this like winding path. Um, there's like a butterfly with red and gold wings and squirrels with silver fur. So it's like, looks very real. Is super pretty. Is very like, I don't know. Just, just, it's a cute moment. But coming off the it gives me fae vibes. What, yeah. But also coming off of the, the foul magic moment, it's definitely like he's, he's trying to get back into her like. Good graces. Good, yeah. A little bit. It feels like, um, See, I like woodland creatures and scurrying. And, I am also soft and frolicking. And this is and this yeah. is very pretty. It's very pretty. Like honestly, like good on him for this. It's not like he didn't do it. Like yeah. Unless he's but... like that good, where he can just make it appear like you know, like right out of nowhere. He like taps a button on the house, like it's a tech magic thing, and he just like holds <laughs> it up before he rolls up. up. My, my I will say the thing that I love most about this is that it, they call it painting an illusion and then yeah, they show agreed. it's like a very manual process. Um, I mean, it's it's still less manual than actual painting is, but you know. Um, and I do love that like sense of like, so, you know, we, we talk about like um, Du Bois and like being, you know, like using magic to do like fashion or, or, you know, they have like in their, in the closet, like it just kind of knows what you want and mm-hmm. becomes like your perfect dress. It fits you. I always love the sense of like using magic or supernatural things for stuff for just like creative sake for, for the, be- yeah. the sake of beauty, making something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the height of crazy privilege we already talked about the fact that they just have this house that nobody he's the only one that goes there has, no one has any I, idea that there's an illusion in the basement the whole <laughs> ass basement though the whole ass like a basement usually no runs clue. from like the, the whole the entirety of the bottom of the house mm-hmm. and ain't nobody checking like it, it just lives there it's crazy to me yeah but I do I do love um, that sense of like creativity and and like I, and I think like the manual like part of it, like they like he talks about like oh there there are automatic illusions. I, I'm going ahead a little bit, and then like this is more manual. The painting of an illusion is not is not an automatic thing. It's not like you say a spell and then. And then it happens, right? It, it, it doesn't just appear. Like, there is, like, a painstaking, there's a thoughtfulness to it. The idea that you're walking through this beautiful forest and that Dylan has, like, hand-drawn or whatever, these trees, these these creatures, this this light. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really dope. Um, and then he, like, shows her... Um, how to do it um he he points he paints a white bird on her shoulder um with his finger um it hops to life and then with a few chirps flutters off into the forest um and says once you practice enough there will be no sense you can't fool your illusions can make sounds have bad smells even feel real to the touch i've never actually tried to taste one but it seems like it would work um so he says, Ooh. the secret to making an illusion is to focus on the image in your head, imagining it pouring out of your fingers. Um, 
and then has her start with something small um, and not alive. So they first do just like a little button on his shirt. Um, and then once she does that, they um, he goes over and paints a tiny green sprout that grows through a crack in the concrete and says, this reminds me of you. Um, because you haven't let where you come from or what you are make you give up, at least not yet. You just keep fighting through it. Um, so <laughs> he's spitting game, this 12 year old. Yeah, I was like, you a game. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I'm like not going to lie. Like a, like he's a Tinder profile. Because <laughs> one of those thoughts is like resilience freaking conversation here that you're trying to make it glorify the idea of resilience. Like, ugh. I mean, yes. Nah, he he's, try, he's spitting he's, game. He's, he's, he's spitting game. He's trying to get her to. He knows that he made her him and also. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to. That mm-hmm. and also like to get her not to give up on looking for school. vanquish it's or like the, both school, but yeah but yeah it's like both and Can't. but he definitely um, so <laughs> i was just thinking about like it takes him um she says it takes like 30 minutes i think is what he what she says to get the button right mm-hmm. um and Yeah, painting manual illusions is a lot harder than automatic illusions. It takes her like 30 minutes to get one button. And I was just thinking about like he's been sitting in her TV, then he goes to her house, and then they go to this lake house, and now they spend 30 (laughs) minutes on a button, and now they're actually like drawing stuff. And at no point, Amari's mama doesn't know that she's not at camp. So she's not, no one's checking for her yeah she didn't um, have to go out the front door she didn't have yeah um he never stayed in the dorms he lives at home with his people no they, they live in the bureau them. just up in well, higher they, suites but they live oh i thought they put um, it's like a it's like during he's not the, in the dorms though camp. he's no he's not he in the dorms but during camp he's like, still in the building yeah yeah the directors but i'm have saying their, like, like Whatever, yeah. Got their own floor. Like they have their but own with his floor. parents, right? Or yeah, my, yeah, yeah, with his parents. Yeah, with his okay. parents. So at no, like I'm not in the habit of telling my parents where I'm going. Whatever, but my parents, if I am just, they hurt not a peep for me in hours. You nobody. The Van Helsings do not care, Robin. They, <laughs> they do not care. Where is I'm not a proponent of calling CPS, but where is CPS? Van Helsing, the director, is too busy making sure that he's getting all the praise for whatever the agents are actually doing. Mm-hmm. And his wife is running around trying to make sure that all the things are covered up that needs to be covered up. Mm-hmm. Including her daughter's freaking cosmetic purchases because she everybody knows who used that card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just ooh. So Amari's hand reaches out on its own with a swirl of her fingers. Dylan Sprout glows and blooms with petals of sparkling clear glass. Um, it twinkles like a rainbow in the neon lights of the forest. Amari's like, I don't know how I just did that. But Dylan says, sometimes your magic will take over for you if you let it. Um, and then he says, how about we call it an Amari Blossom? Again, he's <laughs> he's trying to ing- re-ingratiate himself. Um, she smiles he and said, says, I think I like Welcome that. to the quiet storm. This is baby making <laughs> magic. Babies, babies making baby making magic. Stop it. Stop it. I'm just saying. Okay. Ugh. Oh my god! I'm just saying. Anyway, 
uh, MVP of the chapter. I had to go with Elsie. Um, thinking about it after we go through this, she's only in the chapter for like just a second, but she yeah. is, you know, best friend goals. They finally have declared, you know, um, the level friendship. of friendship they got, their best friendship. And she is able to, I mean, this is both, this is like kind of, this chapter is two examples of how Amari's peers are trying to motivate her to not give up after like going through some horrible stuff. But I think that Elsie, Elsie's attempt is to tap into who Amari innately is and not who she thinks or wants Amari to be right. Like Amari cares to, um, about finding her brother. Like that is like, you know, she's just trying to like get her to remember her, her why. Um, so yeah, I just think that like, I don't know. I love when you, when you motivate someone by just kind of reminding them, remember who you are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I also made Elsie my MVP again for just like, just the best friendship over here. Um <laughs> Yeah, she's yeah, she's great. Love have love uh her relationship with Amari. So I initially was going to make Elsie my MVP, but then I was like thinking about it and I was like what Amari's been through. Uh specifically, it seems like she has an existence that has that vacillates between like insignificance, like oh, I'm no one. Um when I'm back home, I'm just pulling up in the neighborhood. And I feel like I'm no one behind Quentin and I um, have of no consequence to the people who are around me. And yet also is highly significant whenever it comes to like how people in the neighborhood are watching out for her to the way that people have all this hate that they're going to chance her chance um, that they hate her as she's leaving the building and she has a hate crime crimed against her. Um, that takes a lot to just hold on to yourself between there and even in like, and she's at the age where she's still trying to figure out who the F she is. Um, and all of this is all just coming on to her because of who she is and what her identity is without her actually actively having anything to do with much of how people are interacting with like how insignificant or significant she feels at any given moment. And just relating to that and the fact that she doesn't really have a level of stasis that she's comfortable with because everything keeps moving vacillating between one or the other extreme in any given moment. Um, and I love that Elsie helps try to give her that stasis, but then it uh, gets ripped up under her for so, you know, right after that. So I love that Amari is um, filling all the feelings and not letting her misgivings for any given moment. Like right as soon as uh, Dylan violated the second part, like he violated by coming to her house, but then he violated real hard with that uh, foul magic and she was not letting that go. She's not just going to let stuff happen to her. And I love that for Amari, like even in the moments where she's feeling super vulnerable and isn't quite sure about anything, she's also not going to just let anything happen to her. She's going to like uh, stick up for herself, even when she's like not sure about herself at the same time. Word. Uh, benched. I think it was pretty clear. Dylan. At least. Yeah, don't, at least from Robin's and, side. And you know what? Listen, 
He's got to sit down. We could talk about the foul magic. We could talk about being presumptuous about who, about Amari and her moral code and compass or whatever. Don't show up at my house unannounced. Ever. Because that is cause to ruin a relationship. Not You're not just bitch. Like, we, I don't mess with you no more. Don't do it. So. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, no. I also benched Dylan just because he he was he really he tried to come back in the in the in the last little couple pages the very of the end. forest. But it's not gonna it's gonna be a no for me, dog. He did the most. You know? Team do too much. <laughs> Ain't nothing gonna make up for what he did. Like yeah. there's, there, there's no way to come back from that. Like seriously. It's really bad. And what he did was show up at my house unannounced. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. All of it. Honestly. All of it together. <laughs> All of it together was really just not violations on top of violations. Red flags yeah. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as I agree with how much Dylan is benchworthy, I definitely benched Elsie's guardian and Maxwell for being the way they were for Elsie's guardian for pulling Elsie back from just being at Amari's house um and the racism inherent in that things and a phobia inherent in that and all the stuff that like you're putting onto your child um I understand being concerned about your child's wherewithal but to do it at the detriment of another child is just like there's a better that could have been better handled um and so talking about handling Maxwell, I he really got my side eye because he didn't have to say that in front of them. He could have yeah. just said, Elsie, I need to get you back home because your guardian is uh like not happy that you elected to do something without her permission. Like right. or even like she's supposed to go straight home. So the fact that you mm-hmm. right. made a detour. Or even just be like, right. your mama called, you gotta go home. Yeah. It's time <laughs> to go. go. Maxwell didn't have to say that in front of them. He didn't have to make um um he doesn't make Amari feel that way because that really did take the wind out of Mamari's cells and then mm-hmm. like he really did just put that pull that into there and I'm like that and they were having a moment like F, F Maxwell for that to be honest mm-hmm. like I really am over him for that I kind of like I agree with you and but I also have a little bit of like I feel bad for Maxwell because he's like I think in but he the could, way that I read adult, it is he like, handled it better. oh, I definitely think he could have handled it better. I just think that like in, in his like, you know, I think he's probably used to kind of coddling Elsie and like letting her do like get away with some stuff and skirt some rules. But he's like, don't fight me on this because I'm not trying to get fired. But he could have said that he, though. No, I, he could have handled it better. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying I, I understand the anxiety of like, I ain't trying to lose my job. Healthcare is expensive. Let's go. <laughs> uh, thanks, y'all, for listening. Um, we will be back next week for chapter 22. Oh, wait. We had a question for the audience, which is, um, what magical room would you create if you were a Van Helsing with a spare lake house and you could paint mm. illusions? What would you, how would you supernaturally decorate, interior decorate? <sighs> That's a good question. Let us know. Wizard Team is brought to you by Black Nerds Create. If you want to keep up with our other content, you can check out our website at blacknerdscreate.com. Follow us on Twitter at blacknerdscreate, at Yana Wrote It, 
at Robin underscore Rambles and at Portia. Follow us on Instagram and Tumblr at Black Nerds Create. Subscribe to our monthly magic newsletter. And don't forget to rate and review this and all of our podcasts. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you.